Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. Messianic Gentiles and Messianic Jews who come together to study the word of the Lord, the scripture, the Holy Scripture, and to understand it from the point of view of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, our salvation. For as Ephesians 2.14 says, For he is our peace who has made both groups one and has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new humanity, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both to God into one body through the cross, thereby slaying the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So, Jerry, what are we studying today? We have some wonderful portions of Scripture to look at, and as usual, it's going to be way more than we can look at all of them. But I want to start in a slightly different place right now, uh, just as a, a reminder uh, why we approach Scripture the way that we do, looking at the Old Testament through the lens of Yeshua. Um, as uh, God is wrapping up history in Revelation chapter 19, um, the, uh, the last word before the appearance of Yeshua on the white horse with uh, his hosts to defeat God's enemies, it says this, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, if we really consider that, what I believe is being said is what we have been talking about, that the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And that to unlock what the Old Testament has to say ultimately requires the appearance in the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Yeshua. The testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. I think that this is what Peter was talking about when he said this. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry. Concerning this salvation, beginning in verse 10 of 1 Peter 1, concerning this salvation, in other words, Peter has, has just begun his letter. He's laid out uh, the salvation that is available to all who come to faith in Yeshua, how we can have our sins forgiven. God gives us eternal life. God adopts us into his family. So he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, those prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, that is you and me today, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Messiah in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Messiah and the subsequent glory. So in other words, they were getting messages from the Spirit of Messiah, the Holy Spirit, right? Right. About the Messiah. But they did not really know who the Messiah would be or what the time of his coming would be. as well as uh, this, this whole idea that the Messiah would suffer. You know, that was probably a bit of a shock to them. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were prophesying in the dark, basically. <laughs> but for our sakes, they prophesied in the things that have now been announced to us through those who preached the good news to us, by that same Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven, things into which even angels long to look. Wow. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and that's why we come at the scripture the way that we do. Okay? And it's with that in mind, um, as we look back at our Parsha, the uh, Torah portion from the five books of Moses, 
Uh, we're looking at Exodus chapter 13, I believe we begin in. As the people are coming out of uh, Egypt and they're coming to the Red Sea and we cover the uh, dividing of the Red Sea and the uh, catastrophe that falls on Pharaoh and his army, our, our Parsha covers this exalted song of glory to God that Moses sings in chapter 15. Uh, we cover some significant testing moments uh, well known to us, the part about the bitter water. They complain about bread and God sends manna from heaven. They complain about food, meat, and God sends them uh, quail in abundance. In uh, chapter 17, uh, this is the part where they're, they're, they're uh, in need of water again, and Moses is instructed to strike the rock, and the rock gushes forth water. And our Parsha closes with a story about a war that takes place, a little bit of a battle uh, between uh, the Israelites and the Amalekites who are attacking them from the rear. So there's a lot of ground in here and a lot of well-known parts, but I'd like to zero in first on the situation about the manna because it is matched then with our New Testament portion in John chapter 6 and that is just such a rich portion for us to be able to talk about Yeshua and the ways in which Yeshua is the bread of life just as the manna was the bread that sustained the Israelites for their 40 years of wandering. There's so many uh, wonderful little uh, parallels between these two situations. And I want to have us take some time to talk about bread. And Lee, you've brought up the various kinds of bread. Uh, when we talk about the bread of affliction and the bread of life, there's just a lot of little nuggets here, I think, for us to uncover. But before, as, as a preamble to that, let me, let me throw this out here. Uh, we know in John that Jesus presents himself as the bread of life. This is John chapter 6. For our uh, audience who knows the Hebrew language, uh, you know that Jesus was born in Beit Lechem. He was born in the house of bread. Beit is the house. Lechem, bread. Uh, Jewish people, uh, when we uh, say grace over our meals, and this is what Jesus said when uh, he, he broke the bread, he said, Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Hamotzi lechem, the one who gives bread. And so Jesus is lechem, lechem chayim, right? The bread of life. So uh, even in this prophecy that Micah had, uh, you, Beit Lechem, small among the towns of Judah, yet will he come forth whose times were from of old, right? Beit Lechem, Jesus was born in the house of bread because he is the living bread and the bread of life. So uh, with that kind of as a lead-in, um, maybe we could read the story about the manna uh, in chapter 15. Chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 16, or maybe not the whole story because it's pretty long, but it begins, as so many stories do, with the people complaining. In verse 3 of chapter 16, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right? And... <laughs> This is a, uh, an event that takes place, it says in the first uh, verse, it says this happened on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So basically they've been gone about 30 days. They left on the 14th of the previous month, it's now the 15th of the next month. So in my mind, I'm, I'm wondering, th they must have carried enough food out to last them pretty close to this time, but now it's, it's really run out. And people are starting to look around and wonder how in the world we're we going to eat. You know what? It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt rather than be out here and starve to death. And how often do we take uh, steps of faith and we are in a strange and lonely place and it doesn't look like there's much support around and we begin to question uh, 
uh, God, did you really ask me to, to do this? God, are we, are we still together? Are you still here? Maybe it would have been better if I'd stayed back in that safe place. Maybe it would have been better if I hadn't taken this step. Moses cries out to God. <clears throat> and God tells him, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And apparently the law that uh, he had in mind was this Sabbath ordinance. And the intention was to put them to the test. By the sixth day, you should know that you'll have enough. Will you trust me the seventh day to, to make sure that it'll carry you over? Lee, you look like you want to jump in. I think that it's a good place to compare now what Yeshua says about the bread of life. Mm -hmm. And so in John 6:26, he says, Yeshua answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for that food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they asked him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Yeshua answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Yeah. So is that's a different type of proving them mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that John 6 passage, we should really set the scene for this conversation, uh, really uh, is, is set up by the fact that just before Jesus gives them this teaching, he had just fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and a few fish, right? right. And they had seen the miracle of the multiplication of food and it would have reminded those godly-minded people and even probably just your average, average Jewish person. And if the story is well enough known to you uh, of your own history, that this experience of sitting here and being fed like this, in this is very similar to how God fed us for 40 years in the wilderness. And that's where Jesus is coming from when he begins by saying, you know, you're not seeking me because... Uh, <coughs> You saw the signs, but because you just want your fill of food. And what is he talking about? Remember signs. We've talked about this a little bit already, that signs are not simply to dazzle and to go, oh, wow, I, I, I had this spiritual high. I was, I was there when this happened. No, signs have a specific theological purpose. They are to direct us to the sign giver. They are to bring about faith in Yeshua, to bring about faith in the Lord. Remember how many times in this experience uh, during the Exodus, uh, God has said that they will know, or then they will know, I am Hashem, I am the Lord. When they see this sign, then they will know. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. You're not here for the sign because you want to know God. You're here for the sign because you want a full belly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in the setting in Exodus we're at, they had just come through <coughs> crossing the Red Sea. And, and in, in, ex, in this Torah portion, Exodus 14, 13, when the Israelites are surrounded on two sides by mountains and in front of them is the Red Sea and coming behind them is Pharaoh with the chariots, Moses in, in 14, 13, and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For whereas ye have seen the Egyptians today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and he, ye shall hold your peace. So it's, you know, it's interesting uh, it's a very similar type thing of what you're saying about the signs and the miracles 
that they had seen and pointing to the sign giver. And I just want to point out that the word there for salvation in the Lord, when he says, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, is Yeshuat Adonai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeshuat. Yeshua, his proper name is salvation. The salvation of the Lord is Yeshuat Adonai. And what does Jesus say? He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent in John chapter uh, 6, 29. So. Right, right. So the, uh, the, the, the bread discussion continues from where you left off. Uh, in John chapter 6, Jesus answered them and said, This is the work of God that you believe in him, uh, whom he has sent. And they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Now, this is really a pretty strange question for them to ask the day after they had just seen this great sign. Okay, well, that was nice yesterday, but what do you got, what do you got for us today? Right? What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So there was even some apparent uh, misunderstanding on the part of the people that it was Moses the deliverer, uh, Moses the the bread giver, Moses was the intermediary, <laughs> Moses uh, was the deliverer for God mm. to use. Moses was the mouthpiece that God used to bring the bread. He goes on and says, It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, the true bread of God now, this is what he's talking about, all that manna, it was a great sign in the day, and it should be a sign for you now as I'm, ta- Jesus, as I'm talking to you, right? The true bread from heaven, my Father gives you true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Wow. So, you know, we have this, this uh, common saying in, in our language, you know, bread is the staff of life. It's bread. That, you know, what do, what do they give prisoners to keep them alive? Bread and water, right? And he says, I am the bread. I am I, the bread of life. If you, you need to ingest me uh, for, for real life. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And this is the stunner. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the same thing that he said to the Samaritan woman at the well. If you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. Lord, give me this water. Well, the one who's standing in front of you is him. <laughs> and that's where we need to come uh, as, as uh, unbelievers first to come to see that life is in Yeshua and that we can only participate in the life of God through faith in Yeshua, as he says here. This is the, this is the work of God to believe in the one he sent. Uh, we we come to Yeshua daily. Lee, you w- want to talk about uh, the Lord's Prayer here? <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. You know what is the daily bread that we need? We we need the Lord. We we need His strength. We need His hope. We need His compassion. We need His His joy. We need His word. We need His spirit. We need the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. As you gave bread in the wilderness to our forefathers, manna that literally came down from heaven. So each day Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. That manna was just a picture of me. That manna was a sign from God that he is the Lord. But all of it was pointing towards me, is what Yeshua is saying here. You know, and... and There's these three types of bread, right? Because there is 
He's saying I'm the bread of life, and the manna is the bread from heaven, but the unleavened bread, the bread without sin, right? We talked about how leaven represents sin and corruption and passion, but the is the bread of affliction. And, and isn't Yeshua our bread of life? Doesn't he... Isn't he the combination of the bread from heaven and the bread of affliction? Amen. The bread with, it's the unleavened bread, the Mm -hmm. bread without sin, the bread broken for us. Yeah, that bread broken for us is a picture of what happens in your typical Seder. Uh, There's a, uh, it's called a matzatash, it's a little... Uh, three three compartment bag and each compartment has a piece of matzah put inside of it and the middle piece is taken out at one point during the ceremony and broken uh, even today that's still the case and <clears throat> that's what Jesus was doing when he was uh, saying at the Last Supper this is my body that's broken for you he was celebrating that one part of the Seder where the matzah is broken. Another interesting thing about matzah, uh, the bread of affliction, uh, just in looking at it physically, the matzah has stripes on it and it has holes in it. Just like the Messiah was whipped by his stripes were healed. He was uh, torn uh, and then the holes from the nails uh, were put <coughs> in him. And the prophecy from Zechariah, talk about the prophet's uh, trying to figure out what it is exactly that they're saying. The prophet Zechariah has Messiah uh, <coughs> on view coming back, and he says, all Israel will look on him whom they have pierced. Wow. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely, the bread of affliction. Yeshua is the bread of affliction. He was the man of sorrows. He was he was afflicted for our sins. And, and isn't the bread of life... isn't it a combination for us also of affliction in this world, pain and suffering? And, you know, for lessons that the Lord's trying to teach us to conform us to his image Mm -hmm. and blessings from heaven, the bread from heaven, manna, you know, that, that if you try to hoard and gather too much, rots and is full of worms because God provides it new every day, his blessings. Yes. I love that idea, the the new everyday part. You know, it reminds me uh, <clears throat> the verse, and it says, uh, <clears throat> probably going to get this wrong. Um, I, I'm, I'm stuck. <clears throat> the... Uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never fail to the end. They're new every morning. <clears throat> Great is God's faithfulness. <clears throat> that is a verse that's found, surprisingly, in Lamentations. <clears throat> Jake, uh, Jacob, Jeremiah, pouring out his heart in lament over the destruction of Israel, is given this verse almost in the center of the book. The steadfast love of the Lord, that chesed that we've talked about, never ceases. His mercies, his rachamim, never fail to the end. They are new every morning. Great is his emunah, his faithfulness. You know, that idea that we can be suffering and going through affliction ourselves. We're walking in the same path that Jesus walked. He is the bread of affliction. Yet, I wake up in the morning, and it's a new day, the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord did not fail me. The mercy of the Lord never runs out. His faithfulness is forever and ever. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. Isn't that great? And we got there just from talking about some some manna in Exodus 
16 and uh, this wonderful monologue that, or the dialogue that Yeshua has entered into about who is the bread of life, what's the point of manna. Manna is a sign pointing us to the eternal God and the bread that came down, the bread of life, Yeshua. To the house of bread, Beit Lechem. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Hmm. The last day. Now, in Jewish understanding, that's the olam haba, the age to come. The messianic age, the golden age, the age when the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yeshua says, all of your hopes that you have for the future reside in me because the Father has sent me to gather up all he's given me. I will lose none of you and I will raise you up in the olam haba, in the messianic age. The golden age when sin is, is wiped out, when the lion and the wolf will... Uh, the lion and the lamb lay down together and all of those glorious pictures of the of, of the world set right of the world free of sin this is what Jesus is opening their eyes to right here it's in me it's in me for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day God's will that everyone who turns to Yeshua will be saved, have eternal life, and be raised on the last day. That's why we don't fear death as followers of Messiah, because he's conquered death and he has made a promise that we will be raised up on that day. Now, that's the resurrection promise. Of course, Paul goes on to elaborate that even more than that, as followers of Christ, when physical death takes this body, we're absent from the body, but present with the Lord. So that the, 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 the statement is true when Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will never die. The body does die. Death is unavoidable for the, our physical bodies. But our spirits that have been made alive and united to God, that will never see death. Jerry, that's a good point. And, you know, when you receive Jesus, I think that's when <clears throat> eternal life starts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start when you die. It starts with the moment you receive him, and it continues for eternity. Absolutely. That's why I believe, you know, that's, that's the biggest and best decision anybody can make is to receive the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if you hoard the manna, it dies, too. It rots and gets worms. It's like hoarding in a way the bread that feeds the flesh. But he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm not just this bread that feeds your flesh. Mm -hmm. And then, then it goes on. I mean, we have to go on and read the rest of John 6 because it's, <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, for our, for our Jewish brothers and sisters, it says, the Jews then murmured about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Yeshua, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? And what's Yeshua say, Jerry? Don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day as it's written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God has seen. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And that's your point, Bob. Yes that eternal life is not just in the last day when I raise you up, but whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So there is that bread that partaking in Yeshua, he is life. 
right? That's how John begins his gospel. Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So to believe in Jesus, to to receive Jesus, to uh, remain in Jesus, as uh, John will go on and talk about in a later chapter, all of these different ideas that express connection to Yeshua mean that you are participating in his life. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ is living in me. Eternal life resides in the follower of Yeshua. Again, not because of anything that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not by, you know, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the work of God, that God draws those that he has called. He draws them to Yeshua. They partake in his life. They have eternal life. Yeah, it's just all so great. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world this is verse 51. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Yeah, and he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then what did the Jews say? <laughs> Therefore they quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, right? I mean, because this is verboten, right, in right. The, law, the Levitical laws. They're misunderstanding, right? They're not understanding about the Spirit. Yeshua said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Mm -hmm. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. That's powerful. That is, you know, revolutionary. I mean, to a Jewish person living in that time to hear that, it would be, they would have trouble. And, and, and what's the next the next words it says, when they heard this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Right. Yeah. And you see situations like this where Jesus is talking at one level and being understood at another level. Clearly. Um, he has this way of expressing himself that is meant to be confrontational that is meant to get people thinking and talking and is meant to really force the issue. Are you thinking in a way that is aligned with God or thinking in a way that's aligned with the world? Um, what I really like about where we got to here is they said, this is a hard saying. Many turned away and stopped following him at that point. And his inner core, <laughs> he looks at them and says, do you want to leave too? And I'm sure that there were some who had very, very serious doubts and maybe some peer pressure kept them from walking away. But even they, Peter says, I think it's Peter who says, um, yeah, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. <clears throat> I think what he's really saying is, <clears throat> this is really hard to swallow. <laughs> little pun there. Uh, th th this is hard to take, but there's there's no nowhere else that we can go. We've seen, and I think he's also making a comment about the religious state of Judea at that time. You know, we we we've seen the religion that we grew up in. They don't have the words of eternal life. Only you have the words of eternal life. And we really like those. But this last thing you said, whoa. 
is going to take some time. <laughs> but but Jesus isn't saying he has the words of eternal life. He's saying something much more revolutionary, much more to our ears it's revolutionary. He's saying, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I mm-hmm. in him. Mm-hmm. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. He who eats this bread will live forever. You know, and, and, and I think, you know, the, with the institution, the sacraments of communion, which clearly come from this, right? Mm-hmm. When you... When you eat this bread, remember my body broken for you. When you drink this wine, remember my blood, the new covenant of my blood. He's really saying that through me, you have access in one spirit to the Father. Mm -hmm. And that is our Ephesians 2 passage Mm -hmm. we read. And that is the hope of God in the world. And that is... Why he gave his son that the dividing wall of hostility would be brought down through the cross. The cross being that his body broken for us. And, and his blood poured out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, well, it, and, ahead, and, and also it's a foreshadowing you know, of the Last Supper here, you know, I yes. think. And that hasn't come. So you can understand how, how these disciples were saying, what are exactly are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So in, in a later passage, you, we'll see that ha- this is how the uh, Last Supper is performed and, and, the, and, the, and the new covenant is made. Right. And, and, I, we, and, you know, Jerry, just to go back to what we talked about in the last couple of shows, we were talking about how the sacrament of communion, when you come to the sacrament of communion, you take the bread and drink the wine. If you don't do it with a heart, you know, if you do it with a hardened heart, right? Not a softened heart of confession and repentance and forsaking the sins and asking for the Lord's mercy. That's the purpose of it so that we can commune through the Spirit, with God. Mm-hmm. And that is what his body and his blood represent for us. Right. Amen. Yes, communion, fellowship. Uh, maybe close this, this part out uh, just with this idea that not only did Simon Peter say, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. But then he also finishes this up. And this is maybe a good word for all of us because we all confront doubts at different times in our in our uh, walk with Yeshua, in our in our in our trusting God, we we encounter difficulties and obstacles, situations that leave, leave us with with some questions. Notice, notice what he said: uh, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That the doubt that you have planted in our minds with this last teaching does not replace the foundation of faith that we have that you are the Holy One, the one that God sent to be the Savior, right? And so that's the, the, the final resting place, <laughs> if you will, for our, for our faith is stripping everything else away whenever the doubt comes and the confusion in the clouds I can look at what I know to be true. Yeshua was a historical person whose life, death, and resurrection are recorded for me here in God's scripture. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, take everything else away, this is true. He paid for my sins and I have eternal life because he is the Holy One that God sent. And isn't this the fulfillment of what you talked about in Lamentations, of new morning mercies and the demonstration that his steadfast love endures forever, is that he gave his Son the bread of our life, the bread of life to be our daily bread? Amen. Yes. Yes. 
yeah. Well, there's a few other things <clears throat> that I think uh, call our attention back in the uh, Torah portion, back in Exodus. Uh, let's take a couple of minutes to talk about the situation at the Red Sea. Uh, Lee, you've already set it up so well. I think you said the mountain range is on two sides and the sea in front of them and Pharaoh behind them. Um, we've talked already about distinction and how God makes a distinction between his people and, uh, and the Egyptians. In chapter 14, uh, we, we have just learned that the Lord is going before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, the Lord tells them, in, well, actually we should kind of go back to chapter 13 <clears throat> for a second. Uh, this begins with the part where God says, I'm not going to lead them through the land of the Philistines because they're not ready for war. God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So he's, he, God understands that later on in uh, verse 18, that they're, even though they're equipped for battle, they, they've got battle gear, they've got swords and helmets and whatever else, but they're not ready. They're not ready. And I think that the passage goes through here with a series of tests that ends with them making war with Amalek because having passed, gone through those tests and being proven by God and them proving God, testing God and showing that he was faithful, that then they were ready to go to war. But here they are then at the Red Sea and uh, Pharaoh's, uh, <clears throat> God tells Moses, uh, Pharaoh will save the people. They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. So then we see Pharaoh again, hardening his heart. It tells about how he gathered up all his chariots. <clears throat> and now the people know that Pharaoh is coming and they're afraid. They said to Moses in verse 11, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us way out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we said to you? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Remember, this is all about who are you gonna serve? Let my people go that they may serve me. No, let us go back to Egypt and serve them. No. <laughs> For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Would it really? Well, that's a question. But here's what Moses says. And these are the words you already read, Lee, but they, they are such strong words for us whenever we are faced by the pharaohs of our lives, by the, the sin that still so easily besets us. We've talked about Egypt uh, being a, a symbol of sin and sinful life, uh, servitude to sin, bondage to sin. Here's what he says. Take a stand. Stand firm, or, or, or fear not. That's first. I'm sorry. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. And as you pointed out, salvation here is a general term. Yeshuat, uh, the deliverance. He's talking about the literal deliverance at the Red Sea. But even in saying that, we understand that this too is a picture of Yeshua the one who will deliver us through the Red Sea, through the waters of baptism to eternal life, right? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Hashem, the Lord, will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So this is such a great picture of salvation. Amen. What did the Israelites have to do? They needed to stand still and be quiet. And have faith. Have faith. <laughs> you know, and, and we talked about in our pre-talk about the Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Mm -hmm. And and the similarly, in the beginning of the armor of God, Paul says, stand in the mighty power of the Lord. Stand. Mm -hmm. and And, you know, when I've heard people talk about that, they're saying stand is not passive. Standing is active. It takes strength and endurance and courage and boldness to stand. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We need we need to. This is not standing around. This is standing for battle. Think of, you know, maybe taking it out of battle. But if you've ever watched wrestlers, right? 
they're taking a stand, but they are planting themselves. They're preparing. They're gearing up. They're mentally preparing. They're planting their feet. You know, you're not going to move me kind of take a stand, not just, oh, I'm leaning against the lamppost wondering what's going to happen next, but to really take a firm stand. And they're, and they're standing in their own strength, but what we're commanded to do is stand still. Mm-hmm. And see the salvation of the Lord. And that is a whole different type of faith because it's not just faith that God will deliver us, but it's the faith that we don't have to do it on our own will, that He will do it in His way, in His time, in the Yeshuat mm-hmm. Adonai. Mm-hmm. Good point, Lee. You know, I, I think I bring, it brings to mind my uh, own salvation experience of going through a difficult time and getting to the point that, that it looks you look defeated and you turn to God and that's when he saves you. You stand and you focus on him and you ask and you receive him into your life and that's when the salvation plays out. The other thing that comes to mind here, I think, is that whole idea of will and control. The, the, these people got no control, right? Uh, they can either uh, turn back and be swallowed up in slavery or they can determine to stand firm and fear not and wait for God. But that, that's, that's the place that God forces them into, really. You know, he, he led them there. That's right. He led them there for a couple of reasons. We know for sure, one of them we've already read, that he may show his glory over Pharaoh. Right. Right? That he may defeat Pharaoh. And I love the way this ends then, uh, that they crossed over the Red Sea and they saw the dead Egyptians on the shore. They know. That is the visual, experiential, uh, existential moment for them. We really are free of Pharaoh. The dead Egyptians on the shore. And that's, that's what, again, spiritually, symbolically, uh, we as followers of Yeshua need to begin to see as the fruit of the Spirit comes, I can't think of the word, <laughs> uh, but as it ripens in our life, as, 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 as the Spirit bears fruit in our lives, you know, think of the dead Egyptians we should be seeing on our own shores. We should see... For myself, I, I know that there, there's, there's a certain stinginess and lack of generosity that I have wrestled with and continue to wrestle with. But there's dead Egyptians. I look at anger. I look at uh, impulsivity uh, flying off the handle. I look at uh, impatience that those, by the grace of God, are the dead Egyptians that I can look at. And say, you know, I'm not where I should be, (laughs) but I'm definitely better because of God's work in me than I would have been. There's some dead Egyptians that I I can point to. And those dead Egyptians, God helped you kill kill those dead Egyptians (laughs) in your own life to to improve you. Through the spiritual warfare, we absolutely want to make that point again, that, that although Israel is fighting, there, 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 there's a physical army. But it is motivated by a spiritual force of darkness. And that's, that's, that's part of sanctification too, isn't it, Jerry? Mm-hmm. Just to be, be moving along. Go ahead, Go ahead, Lee. And I thought, you know, <laughs> that you were bringing out this distinction between will and control. And they, you're right, they had no control. And in face with no control, they could surrender their will to the Lord and then look what the Lord did something supernatural mm-hmm. stand and they stood and watched as the seas parted and they went through and then the sea swallowed up the Egyptians and I, I love the commentary the rabbis made here it says a maid servant at the Red Sea had a more vivid and vitalizing experience of the divine than many a prophet. Amen. (laughs) They saw 
the mighty power of the Lord. Amen. And and yeah. and, and it took it took them all the control being taken from them and to be able to just stand there in in faith. You know, when, when they left Egypt, it was three months before they got to, to Mount Sinai. So this is what all the all the things they witnessed. Mm-hmm. You think about all all those things. You know, the the, the Red Sea parting, uh, the the pillar uh, of of uh, fire by night, the cloud by day, the manna. All of these things they witnessed until they get that. So mm-hmm. this this generation in those three months witnessed a lot. You know, the whole uh, Exodus out of Egypt and all those all those miracles that God performed in just three months. Yep. Yes, they 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 saw a lot, and uh, they still rebelled, and I think that that's one of the things that we have to uh, keep in uh, the, our minds, is that the flesh is in rebellion against God, and even when God performs mighty mighty signs, uh, in and of themselves, they they can't compel obedience. Amen. Right. Um, <coughs> so the uh, people are delivered at the Red Sea. There's this amazing song of Moses that uh, is is sung, uh, just glorifying God. So many great, great passages in in this. Let me just point to a couple. Uh, he he calls God the Lord is a man of war. Uh, the Lord Hashem is his name. Uh, he goes on to recount in poetic terms how God uh, blew with his breath of his nostrils and the sea parted, etc., 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 how he destroyed the enemy. Then verse 11, Who is like you, O Hashem, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you? This is a theme that pops up in a variety of places throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah features it prominently in uh, chapter 40. To whom will you compare me? He asks a couple of times in that one chapter. And Micah has that wonderful phrase, who is like you, forgiving sins? You know, who among the gods is like you? You have led us in your chesed and your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed, paid the price for. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So there's this beautiful, beautiful song, and we're kind of running out of time, and I want to make sure that we touch on a couple things. The first is this. The end of our passage is this battle with Amalek. Amalek is this nasty group of people who do not come up with a frontal assault but are picking off Israel from the rear you know, and so they, they form a battle, and it is this battle that uh, as long as Moses is able to keep his staff up, praying to the Lord, calling on God, then the Israels prevail. And when he is too tired and his arms droop, then the Amalekites prevail. And so his brothers Aaron and Hur stand on either side. Moses sits down on a rock, and they're there holding up his arms. And so he is able to keep his arms up in prayer and Israel prevails. Here's the thing I want us as followers of Yeshua to know. We lift our arms in prayer and we grow tired. But Yeshua lives forever to make intercession for us. Are your arms weary? Are they tired? Are you failing? (sighs) Yeshua is praying for you in that moment. We have an advocate with the Father. He is more than Aaron and her to us. And I just think that's such a beautiful, beautiful picture and what a comfort for us to remember uh, in all of our trials. Uh, we grow weak, we grow weary, and it's wonderful to have brothers and sisters in the Lord that we can say, will you pray for me? And we feel the strength of those prayers. Amen. But let us not forget even if we can never contact a brother and sister and ask for prayer, one is always praying for us without fail. It's Yeshua, our advocate, our high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that great? Amen. Isn't that great? Yes. 
And one last thing from this passage that I just feel like we, we, we have to touch on. Uh, chapter 15, because again, this is such a beautiful picture of, of our salvation in Yeshua. In chapter 15, after the Red Sea, after this glorious song about God's might, God's glory, and God's deliverance, it says they, may, they, they went out into the wilderness of Shur three days and found no water. So that's the way you make it across the wilderness, is you have to go from well to well or spring to spring. Uh, otherwise, you're going to die. So they're out there three days and they can't find any water. They come to this place called Marah and they couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. And they named it Mara, again, because it means bitter. It sounds like the word that means bitter, <clears throat> which is that word moror. We've talked about the bitter herb that we eat at Passover. Mara, moror, all the same thing, bitter. They grumbled, what shall we drink? He cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him an eitz. That's the Hebrew for tree. The Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Well, this is just goofy. What quality does a tree have that you could throw it in bitter water and turn the water sweet? But that's what happened. God said, throw that tree in the water. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. There he tested them in, to see what was in them, basically. And he said, if you'll diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Adonai Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. And this is a new revelation of God's relationship to the people. If you'll do these things, I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So they go from a place where there's no water, there's bitter water, throw the tree in, the water becomes sweet and drinkable. God reveals himself as their healer, and then he leads them to a place of abundant water, right? I want us to just think for a second. The tree that God throws into the bitterness of our lives is the tree on which Yeshua hung. This tree in Exodus that made the bitter waters sweet is a picture of the tree that Yeshua was nailed to, that his blood flowed down and made the bitter sweet. His body was broken on that tree to make the bitter sweet, and the Lord became our healer in that tree. And he heals us of our diseases. He heals us of our sins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He has healed me. Right? right. Psalm 103. And from that healing, God leads them to a place of abundance, fullness. And that's the message that we have for all of our listeners is that whatever bitterness you are experiencing, God wants to heal you through Yeshua, through his offering as your sin payment, through his resurrection as eternal life for you. And that furthermore, he sends his Holy Spirit into you that you might experience the abundance of that life that he gives. Just like the Israelites were led from the sweet water made sweet by that tree, God brings them to a place where there's palm trees galore, 12 springs of water, a place to spread out, to fill up, to be recharged, to be restored. If that's where you are, outside of that place in Yeshua, but your life feels so bitter, you, you don't know what you're going to do, if you understand that God sent Yeshua to make your life sweet, to restore it, to redeem it, to set you on God's path to a place of fullness, would you pray this prayer? Father God, I know that I am a sinner and I need Jesus. My life has been a mess. My life has been full of bitterness. I ask you now 
to redeem me in Yeshua, to give me the life of fullness that he promises, to experience eternal life in him and the blessing of knowing you. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to set me on your path as I put my faith in Jesus. I ask you in his name, amen. 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 And so if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. One New Man Ministries on Facebook. Uh, we were so glad to be able to have you with us today. Hope you'll join us next time. Till then, God be with you.